Thank you so much, Pastor Kenner, for leading us in our service. Thank you for reading God's Word, leading us in prayer. Thank you, Shemaine, and our musicians for always working so hard and sincerely behind the scenes to present this for us. I want to encourage us, those who are tuning in to watch this and listen to this at home, that you do not get too comfortable in being sung to, but continue to sing along and worship God together. And we'll say more about it as the weeks go on because uh, we exist to praise God. And one way to do that is that we worship Him in song together when we gather as God's people. I'm really excited today. Why? Because this is the start of a brand new series. No, actually, it's the continuation of what we started the year with, a series on the first book of the Bible, which is totally foundational. If we don't read and don't understand Genesis, the rest of the Bible is indeed not simply a blur to us, it will not be understandable and of no use to us. So we want to pray and encourage each and all of us to listen carefully. The theme of the year is 2020 vision, and we cannot see more clearly than seeing through God's word when he speaks to us. So let me begin with, like so many of us around the world, um, we are dying, dying for COVID-19 to come to an end, dying for life to resume its normality. And each country has faced their lockdowns, their shut-ins. We had here in Singapore what we call a circuit breaker. And I could remember during the circuit breaker, there were many restrictions, understandably, like everywhere around the world. And the moment the circuit breaker was lifted and we could go out and buy food and we could go out and, and do things again, I remember we, I especially miss this particular dish called Tau Kwa Po. Right? It's a bean curd dish. And it's on the east coast of, of uh, Singapore. So I drove out there about lunchtime. Uh, there was a queue. There were queues everywhere. Can you imagine? After the shutdown, shut-ins and the circuit breakers, there were queues for McDonald's all around the world. There was a queue for this dish. And so I joined the queue and waited expectantly. As we got to the front, all of a sudden, the hawker turned around, the person, the food vendor turned around and said, Boliao, finished in our local dialect. Finish. <laughs> and my heart sang. <laughs> Actually, I wasn't, there was another guy in front of me, and so he turned around, said to this guy, Boliao, and then said to me, Boliao, and all down the queue, we could, the disappointment. And what's the disappointment? When we stand in queue for something, and the principle is as long as stocks last, as long as we have it available, you'll be blessed with this dish. And uh, here I have a, a voucher, right? And in clearing up our house, as many of us have done uh, during this COVID-19, doing uh, Marie Kondo all around the world, living life more simply, we cleared and a few times we discovered vouchers. And when you discover a voucher, right, you look at it and the most exciting thing is that somebody gave you this or you got a voucher in some way. Then you look at the expiry date, oh no, it expired last week. Oh no, it expired last month and you didn't cash it in. You didn't get the blessing because you miss out not just on quantity, you miss out because of the expiry date. And then the disappointments get a little bigger and a little deeper and a little bit more traumatic in life when you couldn't get into that school and there were too few places and too many applicants and now with jobs and jobs on, uh, jobs on the line, you couldn't get a new job because there are too few place, spaces and too many applicants. What are we saying? 
as we start our time together. Here's a very important thing to work through. And what is it we need to work through? The first slide. Blessings. Are you in or out? Let's go backwards. Are you in or out? There is that exhilaration, the ecstasy of being in. There is also the pain of missing out. We actually know the, the other acronym better, FOMO, the fear of missing out. But we ask ourselves, why do we fear missing out? We fear missing out because there is pain when we miss out. All the way from a little bit of food pain when I missed out on my favourite dish or something that I'm longing for, to a voucher that I didn't cash in, a little bit of money pain that I could have gotten a free gift for a free gift worth $50, a free meal worth $100, or more deeply, the pain of missing out on school, the pain of missing out on a team, the pain of missing out on a job, the pain of missing out on a promotion, the pain of missing out on a relationship, the pain of making the wrong decision and missing out all together. So it's actually not FOMO, it's actually POMO, the pain of missing out. Once you travel along that line of thinking, as this is what gives great joy in life and this is what brings great pain, that sinking feeling that some of us get into and a rut that we never get out of, then we can begin to understand God's story, God's story of the world. In these 50 chapters of the first book of the Bible, Genesis, here is uh, an outline of it. Chapters 1 and 2. The story of our world and each of us, men and women made in God's image, to rule the world as God's representatives. Then by Genesis 3, we decided not to listen to God, but listen to God's enemy, the evil one. And from that moment on, our lives were derailed. We became like runaway trains, grieving God and a pain to ourselves and a harm to others. And then from that point onwards, we were thrown out of God's presence, thrown out of the Garden of Eden, blessed by listening to God's word, blessed by obeying God's will as men and women. And then becomes a story not just not made by God anymore, a story cursed by God because we choose to rule ourselves. And then from that point onwards, it's chapter 3 to 11, story after story of how that cascades and expands from Adam's family to Cain's family to the Tower of Babel. And there is actually unmitigating sin, repetition of sin. There is no hope. It gets darker and darker by the time we get to the Tower of Babel until we get to chapter 12 and the promises given to Abraham. And now the story turns to a world blessed by God no longer to a world cursed by God. So the Tower of Babel, if we read it, a few things that come out, that spring up from that passage. The things that spring up from that passage, they say there in Genesis, uh, Genesis 11, right? and this is a summary of the whole portion, a summary of our rebellion and our sin, let us build a tower in Genesis 11, let us make a name for ourselves, a tower that reaches to the sky is a symbol of challenging God and His authority and His supremacy. Let us make a name for ourselves and let us not be scattered. And we could say that a modern way to understand this is that we chose to be selfies, to live our life with self-forgetfulness and to, God forgetfulness 
and the forsaking of God in our lives, totally self-absorbed. And how does Genesis chapter 11 end? So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. And so God dispersed. It ended on a note of curse, of separation, of broken people, broken relationships with God and broken relationships with one another, with incapacity to understand each other's languages. Isn't that the main curse today? No matter how much Google Translate we have, we still cannot love others beyond colour, beyond language, beyond culture. They, be, they remain unconquerable barriers. So God's unfinished story of rebellion against God, Babel, will come the Babylon of the Old Testament and the Babylons of the entire Bible. Finally, the last Babylon the Bible speaks about is the Roman Empire. And every human empire aspiring, addicted to rebellion against God and independence from God saying, get lost God. I can find my own meaning. I can find my own identity. I can find my own security. I can craft my own destiny. That's what we do on the personal level and that's what we do on the global macro level. A life of rebellion against God. And this is a repetition again and again and again. So actually, if I don't understand wrongly, um, there's a remake of that hit movie by Tom Cruise that launched him into a global star more than 20 over years ago called Top Gun. But because of uh, COVID-19, many films have been held back for their release. If you watch the original Top Gun, right, he, is, um, he plays the part of uh, this character and the nickname for him is Maverick. He is really skilled and gifted in, as a pilot, as a fighter pilot in American Armed Forces, right, uh, Air Force. And, but because he's so skillful, at times he crosses over, many times he crosses over, and the maneuvers he makes in battles, right, or rehearsal for battles, endangers others and endangers himself. And so he is put under discipline by his commanding officer. Military discipline. He's grounded. But ever so often as part of his retraining, the officer, commanding officer says, send him back up. Send him back up. See whether he's learned the lesson. But he doesn't easily because he's so used to acting independently. And when he acts independently, he is a danger to everyone around him. You and I are masters of autonomy, masters of independence. And a test of that is how many of us like it when people tell us what to do. We say this all the time. How many of you rejoice when your father and mother tells you when to eat, what to eat, how much to watch, what to watch, uh, when to stop gaming, when to start studying? Nobody likes that. How many of you like to be told how to drive by your spouses? How many of you like to be told? So a few times we have gotten out um, and as we walked out, all of a sudden I realised, oh, no mask. <laughs> so the first time we went to another uh, food centre here, uh, Newton Circus, we walked to that, to that stall and then all of a sudden my wife realised, don't have a mask. I said, stay here, stay here. I'll run back to the car and get it for you. Right? Nobody likes a social distancing ambassador coming up to you and say, no mask, 
Can you sit one meter apart? How many of you, when you, when somebody comes up as a social distancing ambassador for our public health, for the love of neighbors, say, thank you, thank you for reminding me. I love you. Thank you for doing this job. You'll, you'll be in the minority. You'll be a very rare specimen of humanity that thanks people for telling you to do the right thing. We are all addicted to rebellion. We don't take instructions lightly. You and me. That's why even now, in, in America and Europe, wearing the mask is a, it's a life and death situation. You tell a bus driver, tell somebody comes in up the bus, wear your mask, bang, he gets shot. All of us love our freedom to the point of the destruction of neighbour. We struggle with that. We struggle with that a lot, friends. And so God's promises, there is no end to that repetition of Babel in the Babylons of this world, in our personal lives and in our macro lives together, until God speaks this word to Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonours you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so a simple outline, not simply of the 50 chapters, is not how God, the, the world that God has made, the world that God has cursed, but the world that God has blessed. This is a chapter of the beginning of blessing, and simply it falls into two parts. How to be blessed. Can I add in there, if you're taking notes for this, how to be truly blessed and truly blessed by God. Then from verse 10 to 20, we have, we have an anecdote, a report, right? a narrative, a story of how Abraham almost lost it. His first experience of how he stepped out and almost lost God's promise to be blessed. And so we need to contrast this as we begin chapter 12. Chapter 11, let us build a tower. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us not be scattered. It's totally selfish and totally caught up with self. The self-determined life, the self-ruled life, whatever you and I want to do, we do. Doesn't matter what we do to God. Doesn't matter what we do to self. Doesn't matter what we do to others. A life of forsaking God and forgetting God. A life without God, we think is paradise. Freedom, freedom for my fullness. And God says, it's freedom to your folly. And freedom not to, to your fullness, but freedom to your damnation and my damnation. On the right-hand side, notice with Abraham, the reversal of Babel. It is God who says, I will show you the land. I will make you a great nation, even though now you're Abraham and older man and they are, you have no children and Sarah's womb is barren. That's the account and how it begins. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who dishonour you. And this is the totally God-centred life, the totally God-ruled life. I just, want to, I just want to explain that. You are either totally caught up with the self-determined life, the goodness of this, the rightness of this, or you're caught up by listening to God speak His word and the goodness of the God-made, God-ruled, and the God-glorifying life. Caught up 
Did you read the story? The terrifying story of a three-year-old toddler, three-year-old girl in Taiwan during a Taiwanese kite festival. All of a sudden, there was a huge, strong gust of wind and she was caught up, totally caught up, right? So for a frightening 30 to 40 seconds, she was lifted meters into the sky, a three-year-old by this kite, by this gush of wind. And thankfully, the gush of wind died down and she came down. No fault of hers, no fault of hers. But for many of us, we are so caught up with our self-pleasing life, our self-determined life, our rebellion against God's instruction of us life, our rebellion against God speaking to us life. We are so caught up and yet we still don't think it is dangerous. It is highly dangerous. Indeed, it is spiritual suicide. It is. And God said, the Lord said to Abraham, Genesis 1 begins with creation. And Genesis 1, the repetition that is there in Genesis 1, God said, and it was so. God said, let there be, and it was so. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be day, and there was day. God said, let there be, and it was so. And now, in Genesis 12, is the story of redemption. The story of God's rescue of humanity that has gone awry, that have been derailed, a runaway train, your life and my life, runaway trains, of grieving to God, danger to ourselves. And both creation and recreation begins with God's word. Which means there is no hope for you and me. There is no hope for humanity until, until God graciously enters our life and God enters our lives by speaking His word into our circumstances. Did you realize that? So I was just invited and given the great honour of speaking at the Boys' Brigade 90th anniversary. And it's coming up very soon here in Singapore. 90th anniversary of the Boys' Brigade. That began as a movement in 1883 in the UK. Right? Alexander Smith. And as you look back, they, at that time in, in Scotland, in Glasgow, where this began, it was the Industrial Revolution. And it was... Christian men like him, who saw that as a result of the Industrial Revolution, the parents were all working in factories at that time, and the kids were left to themselves, and left to their idleness, and left to their waywardness, and left to their hopelessness. Kids growing up with absentee parents in whichever generation, whichever century, are kids of idleness, waywardness, and hopelessness. And it's because of that compassion, that Christian compassion, looking at the potential of kids. Either they could be caught up with self, a self-determined life if they hung out with the wrong company, or caught up with God as they listened to God speak His word. It's the same. Every single person, every single chaplain, every single captain, every single officer who started the Boys' Brigade here in Singapore and around the world, and every year for 40 over weeks, they pound the parade ground because of compassion for the boys under their care. Same with the girls' brigade. Because when was the last time you actually eyeballed a young person? When was the last time you really eyeballed a boy and a girl 
growing up in 21st century Singapore, 21st century anywhere city around the world. Do you, you, you must see that beyond, beyond those human eyes, uh, the spiritual moral idleness, that if we don't guide them on their phones, they could go to sites. They could go to sites that would deform their, their minds and their hearts forever and ever. To sex sites and porn sites that would deform them forever and ever. The waywardness and then the hopelessness. How do I get out of this addiction when I started on it at 11 years old when my parents were ab absent or even though they were present, I got lost in this world? There is no hope for you and me until God speaks His Word into our circumstances. And so how we celebrate a ministry, how we remember a ministry is to remember God's faithfulness. And among us here in Edinburgh Presbyterian Church, so many of our leaders through the years have sprung up because somewhere along the line in our short, short modern day history of Singapore, from the 1960s onwards, the Boys Brigade bloomed and a good number of people who have now become our leaders were safe because God spoke His word through a chosen servant, the captains, the chaplains, the officers of their lives. So God says, go, you leave your country, you leave your kindred, you leave your family. And basically, have you ever met somebody without family? Either they've become often, they lost a family in an accident, a tragedy, or they were disowned by their families. I just gave an example two weeks ago about this boy in America. And all he wants as a nine-year-old boy is, I, I, I just want a family. I just want someone to call father, dad. I just want somebody to call mom that I can call mom. Because I've been shunted from one institution to the other. I, I just don't know who I am. Every few months I get a new somebody to call. God said, you leave all human securities and you get used to life without props. A life without props. A life of total dependence upon God. That's what he was saying to Abraham. A life without props may be a mental picture of life without props is those who do rock climbing and here is cliff climbing and I can't even imagine that where they're hanging on by the sure fingers. You're just hanging on. There is no safety net. So one understanding of faith in God, trust in God, is spiritual bungee. It's standing at the end of a diving platform, just standing there with your toes as you do your backflip. You have seen that at the Olympics? Or standing there uh, as a trapeze with no net, with God and His purposes. And God's purposes are implemented by His promises. And the promise, the foundational promise, is given to Abraham and Sarah that God is out to bless you and I. He's not out to curse us. He's out to bless us. And the first recipients of this are Abraham and Sarah. And so with God, there is only plan A. There is no plan B. And I just want to challenge myself and gospel myself and speak the gospel to myself. When we step out to listen to God and His word and His promises, there is only plan A his first choice for Christopher Chair, the first choice for Daniel, the first choice for Tony, the first choice for Michelle, the first choice for you and me. There is no plan B. 
is not that God rejoices in our hopelessness, but God rejoices in what? In our growing, flourishing, blossoming trust in Him for life and every area of life and every moment of life. That's what He designed us for. Because beginning with the breath of life that God breathed into us, we must never forget we are totally dependent upon Him. We live on borrowed breath. We live on borrowed time. It's all given by God to us. We must never forget that. So it's not that God rejoices in our hopelessness. I'll say more about that. But He rejoices in us moving away from a life of self-dependence to a life of God-dependence. And the beauty of that life is the life of faith. So, God speaks His promise in His Word. And how did Abraham respond? So Abraham went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Haran was where his father Tara had sojourned. Right? Tara died, and Abraham took Sarah his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all the possessions that they had gathered, signalling they were well endowed with life. And the people that they had acquired in Haran, and then they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, and we're going to read more about that later. So God said, God said, and it was so. Genesis chapter 1, the story of creation. You're going to read from this point onwards. Actually, you started to read that from Noah's account. Noah did everything that God commanded him. God said, and Noah did. God said, and Noah did. And here is Abraham. God said, and Abraham... So what is faith? Faith, as we see here in this few verses, faith is a series, a string of verbs. And a string of verbs, just in case we need a grammar lesson, verbs are action words. And action words, Abraham went. God says, go, I could sit still. Isn't that the, the case in many domestic squabbles? Can you get me something? Can you do something for me? An instruction has come from a parent. An instruction or, or call for help has come from a sibling. Right? Have you ever, when your brother or sister asks you to do something, say, oh, I love it, man, man, my Sister Cheche asked me to do something. I really love it when my brother tells me to do something. No. Faith is you hear God speak and you go out. It's experience in you step up in obedience. It's a series of actions expressed in a, a series of verbs expressed in a series of actions. And Abraham passed through. He passed through the land to the place of Shechem in the Oak of Moriah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And so what do we read here? The first few verses were of God's promise to bless. And then we see Abraham's response. This is like Abraham's GPS walk, right? He didn't know where he was headed. And there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel, pitched his tent with Bethel on, on the west, I on the east, and then he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. Then the Negev is the southern part of the promised land. Negev just means south. 
And so here we see a prophetic walk of God's land. It's like he's marking out the boundaries. For us here in, in Singapore, it's like you, you're getting your keys to your new HDB flat, housing development flat. People listening to this overseas in Canada or America, it's like you got a plot of land and you bought a plot of land, you're marking out the boundaries. It's a prophetic walk of God's land. But note, a note we mustn't miss. There are Canaanites in the land. So if Abraham and his descendants are going to possess this land, they would firstly have to dispossess it of the Canaanites. And why so? We will learn more about that later. So Abraham's prophetic walk, did you notice? At verse 6, at Shechem, God appeared to him the first time this happens. God appeared to him and spoke to him his word. And at I on the east, he built an altar and he called upon the name of the Lord. Call upon the name of the Lord. Up to this point in Genesis 12, every time men call upon the name of the Lord, it's a beautiful sign of the gracious intervention of God in their up to that point, hitherto rebellious lives. Verse 9, And Abraham journeyed on, still going towards the Negev, the southernmost part. And it starts to give us what I call the initial and important foundational understanding doctrine of the value of land. And land is valueless unless you use it for the worship of God. Land is valueless unless it is used for the worship of God. And that's why when you think about this on the macro scale from Genesis to Revelation, God created the whole world, Genesis 1 and 2. And then he created men and women to rule the world on his behalf. And the headquarters of ruling the world in Genesis 1 and 2 was the Garden of Eden. But in disobeying God's word and disobeying God's will, they got thrown out. But now, through God's salvation plan, redemption plan, given firstly to Abraham, is to go to this land called the Promised Land, specifically Canaan. And Canaan will only be valuable, it will only be the Promised Land, if it is turned from the worship of idols to the worship of Yahweh the true and the living God. And that's why the mention of the Canaanites is very important, right? It's not to dispossess the land of a people racially. It's not promoting racial discrimination, but to dispossess the land of idolatry. Because every other nation would be idolatrous, worshipping man-made idols, except for Abraham and his descendants by God's grace are called to worship the true and the living God. And so all land is useless unless it is used for the worship of God. Where does that take us? How to be blessed, a summary up to this point, before we head to the second part. Please take note, we can't bless ourselves. Every attempt, and our unified attempt, as in Genesis 11, to bless ourselves, to make a name for ourselves, is offensive to God, is sin against God. Only God... <laughs> The creator of all things can bless us. Please say a big amen to that. You and me have no capacity and no power to bless ourselves, no matter how sincere we are. And we are blessed when God speaks His word, His words that communicates His will for us. We are created in His image. We are made and designed to fulfill His will, not our will. And we are blessed when we walk by faith in His word to fulfill His will. This is God's gospel promise, the foundational chapter 
If we miss chapter 12, the whole of life collapses. All we have is curses. And so Abraham is blessed by God so that ultimately he'll be a world blessing. How is that going to happen? We roughly know the story, but we'll tell it once again. He's blessed to be a blessing. That's your story. That's my story. And then there's a sudden shift from this picture of Abraham hearing God's word, marching off in obedience. He went, he walked, he did all these things. He built an altar to the Lord. He worshipped the Lord. But verse 10, a turning point. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to, his, to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Now when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. He's speaking of reality here. When Abraham entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the prince, princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, the ruler of the land, the king of that land. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, literally into Pharaoh's harem of women, harem of wives. And for her sake, Pharaoh dealt well with Abraham, Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys and camels. And I'm told camels at the tail end is to crown off to say that Abraham was very blessed he was already rich, but he probably got double blessings and camels was a sign of prosperity. It is perhaps the Rolls Royce of our modern day age. Camels of that time. If you can afford that, friends, you are truly financially blessed. What lessons can we learn from this? Precious lessons for us. Lesson number one. All the women who think that you are old because you are above 50 you're above 60 and you're beginning to be a bit panicky, please take note that Sarah was probably 60, 65 years old and she's considered beautiful, right? No, friends. The more important lessons are this. Oh, everybody's saying around us, I do not want to hear this word again. Unprecedented crisis. Once in a lifetime crisis, COVID-19, right? Once in a century crisis. But here we have it is an unprecedented crisis in Abraham and Sarah's life. And a few things add up to this formula. It's Abraham's, Abraham's timidity, his fear. It's Sarah's, uh, Sarah's beauty. And you see, beauty is not a problem, except there is attraction to beauty. Pharaoh had beautiful women in his harem and he wanted one more. And so it's a perfect storm against faith in God. So what happened here? What happened here is Abraham looked at his circumstances of famine and he reasoned to himself, I got to walk out of the boundaries of Canaan to go and find hope in Egypt. So he walked out of the boundaries of Canaan to walk into Egypt and there as he walked into it, he looked at his circumstances, he acted by his own wisdom. Did you notice in this passage, in the verses before, verse 1 to verse 9, God was everywhere. God is mentioned in almost every verse. 
God said and Abraham did this. God said and Abraham did this. God's word and fingerprints. But in verse 10 onwards, God is totally missing from Abraham's calculations. So he evicts God and enters self. He evicts God's word and enters self-wisdom. He's a flawed interpreter of his circumstances. And he interprets the circumstances by himself. If I, if I, if I say she's my wife, they will kill me. He reaches premature conclusions. He takes the wrong actions, gets Sarah, his wife, to lie. And so he grieves God, he protects himself, and he harms his God-given wife. Every time we do autonomy, we do three things. Every time we do independence, every time we do love ourselves to death, we grieve God, we protect ourselves, we harm others. That's the very DNA and essence of sin. Grieve God, protect self, harm others. So we've got to work out whether, as Abraham had to work out, whether his was a circumstantial faith or covenant faith. And from this point onwards, it starts to set a pattern. They'll read in the rest of the Old Testament, cascading into the New Testament, that the greatest threat to God's promise to bless us is actually us, the recipient of that promise. Beginning with Abraham, the forefather of faith, we are always putting God's promises at risk from Israel's history to our history. Let me just explore that, right? In our marriage, right now, in your marriage, who is putting it at risk? With your thoughts, with your words, and your deeds. With every relationship, you're either putting it at risk, in danger, you're a threat, or you're securing it, you're pulling it back from the edge, you're blessing each other, you're blessing and you're protecting that relationship, your family, through this time. Is it on the edge? Is it about to fall apart? Is it fraying? Who is it? Who is putting it at risk? And in every relationship, from the most important, from our homes to our communities, we are either protecting or we are risking it. Israel, as the recipient, was always putting the covenant relationship at risk. And how this ends, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So Pharaoh called Abraham and said, What is it that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her, go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him and sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Notice, when you read right to the end, there is no hope for Abraham, and his, for Abraham and his situation until God's gracious intervention. And when you read, Egypt, Pharaoh are punished by plagues, and Abraham is rescued by deportation. And you see, the rest of us who, the, those of us who know the rest of the Bible say, that sounds familiar, that sounds familiar. That sounds like the next book, Exodus. Moses and his generation being deported, by being let go. So this is a, this is a personal exodus, which leads us to very precious lessons as we end our times. A life and death choice as we listen to Genesis 12 of 
whether to be blessed by God or whether to bless ourselves, which turns out to not be blessing. You either choose self-rescue and self-blessing or you choose God's rescue and God's blessing of you and me. So from human eyes, Abraham and Sarai, they are aged, they are childless, they are landless. As you read this point, he's like a hopeless wanderer. He's a hopeless wanderer in that land and he's a hopeless wanderer to the end of Genesis. But Abraham from God's eyes, He'll be blessed with children, firstly biological and then spiritual children. He'll be given a land, firstly physical land, and then he'll, his descendants will be promised land forever and ever and blessings, eternal blessings. If we, like Abraham, listen to God's promise and take hold of this, we will be blessed and will be a, a blessing to others. Do you believe this? So God and Abraham and us, you hear what God says, you obey what God says, you worship God all the way from promise to fulfillment in Jesus. Promise to Abraham, fulfillment in Jesus. From fulfillment in Jesus to, I know it's fulfilling Christ, but now the church is asked to be a blessing to all the nations that he sends us to. Every single one of us as believers and followers of Jesus, we are missionaries wherever we are. And how do we know that? Galatians 3, 25 to 29 says this, Now that, Faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. How? For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring according to the promise. So how do we become children of God? How do we become blessed? It works backward. If I choose to believe in Jesus, the end of God's promises fulfilled in Him, then I'm actually a recipient of Abraham of God's promise to bless and not to curse. And so, here is the gospel story again and again and again. And Abraham in chapter 12, his was a pilgrimage of faith as we'll see unfold. As the New Testament will speak about in Hebrews chapter 11, God teaching each one that he calls from Adam, right, to Abel, to Noah, to Abraham, to all the patriarchs that we'll read about in Genesis and the rest of the Bible. God is teaching each of us to live by faith in his promises given in his word. And for us, it is Jesus or bust. It is Jesus or nothing. And so what must we do as we live under God? There is only plan A, plan Abraham. And plan Abraham ends and is fulfilled in Jesus, our Saviour and our Lord. You, you and me stand and we can say, bless me as you bless Abraham. Because you can claim this promise that the descendants of Abraham will be blessed. And you and me have become the spiritual children of God through Jesus dying on the cross, rising from the dead, making atonement for us, that God's wrath is taken and God's blessing is poured out. Grace and grace, God is good to us all the time, all the time from Abraham, all the time to Christ, and even now through us. Do you believe that? We are blessed to be a blessing. And so did you read the newspaper report or hear it on the news of this? 
that the foreign workers enjoy an afternoon at Labrador and Hot Park here in, in Singapore after months of being in dormitories because the greatest outbreak of COVID-19 was in the dormitories, very sadly, among the foreign workers who have come to serve us here and build our nation and are essential workers in so many areas. And hundreds of thousands of them have not been able to come out for the fear of community spread. And so it's a wonderful thing. They asked for 25 volunteers. And so we put up our hands and Pastor Lak Yong and me went along and we hosted some of those men and just to see them, right? We played two, three games with them and they were so elated in playing those games, a game called Chapte, right? Something just you just do with your legs and your body and just one hour, two hours of being with them, the joy came back and after that we exchanged numbers and two of them, three of them text and each one of them text, one of them text me this message. Hi sir, good morning. We fine sir, I asked him how he was. Yesterday is the best day of my life in Singapore sir. Definitely we hope to meet again sir. The respect, the, the appreciation. We don't need to be called sirs. We don't want to be called sirs. But when we go out simply because God wired us from the creation, from creation, and God called us through redemption and fulfillment in Christ to be a blessing. When we go out and choose to bless people with love, with altruistic love, with no agenda except to love them, love them because they are created equal in God, they are equally safe in Christ. People feel that blessing. And we can be that kind of people. We said when this broke out a few months ago, may God so empower us to go and adopt a dorm and reach out to, to the foreign workers and be a blessing. It's mission at our doorsteps. And I went out with Pastor Lang Yong just to not say, you go and do it, but I had to show you that what it means to do it. And I hope that we encourage and by God's grace, we'll go out and do this for the glory of God, just to spread some love around. So I want to ask you, every day that you live, do you live intentionally from the moment you wake? You have blessed me, O Lord. You have blessed me so undeniably, so undeservingly by giving me yourself, by giving me your son, by giving me Jesus and every blessing I don't deserve in him. And can you pray the follow-up prayer? Make me a blessing to others. You're not blessed as an end in itself. We are not blessed as followers of Jesus, um, as an end in itself. We are blessed to be a blessing to others. And that's why God has expanded for us here in ARPC. One church in one place, one church in two places, one church in three places. And as we prepare for that in two, three years' time of physical building, it's important that we prepare ourselves. We are blessed to be a blessing. And we want to do that, equip. And so the new app that's coming out is the micro-learning, what we teach here in Genesis. From day to day, we're going to send you messages beginning myself. What are you learning in your life? Are you growing deeper with God? Are you blessed to be a blessing? I just got this today. So I thought I'd use it, the card, written by some kids, right, the parents, and it says this, Dear Uncle Chris, wishing you a speedy recovery, praying that you will not suffer from serious side effects, that you can continue to minister to the church with God's help. Young kids, right? So when we see you, we think about when we see you, Pastor Chris, on screen, right? we think about, number one, Auntie Mona. When you see you, Pastor Chris, Uncle Chris, we think about the Bible, number two. When we see you, Pastor Chris, we think about the cross. When we see you, Pastor Chris, we think about nature. Isn't it amazing? The thought association, the mental association, the word association, when we think about you, 
When people see us, what do they think about? They must see blessing. They must see a genuine expression that I'm a channel, a channel of God's blessing. And that's what we want to be. That God has been good to us all the time. Fulfill it in Christ. And God wants to use us as a blessing to others. Brothers and sisters in Christ in the RPC, in any church, I invite you not to live your life with self-blessing. There is no such thing. But to give your life in sweet surrender. God is not, God is not pleased with our hopelessness. God is pleased when we live in increasing dependence upon Him and say only you can bless me and you've done that fully in Jesus. Let's go to God in prayer before we sing that closing song. You deserve glory and honour and power. We thank you that you are God of blessing and though we turn in rebellion against you, you have never forsaken your love for us. Your intention to bless us given in that first foundational promise to Abraham and Sarai, and how it has come to be fulfilled. We are so sorry that as the recipients of this, from Israel's history to ourselves as the new Israel, so oftentimes we put that relationship at risk with our faithlessness. We pray that empowered by you, we will march forth faithfully in every season of life. And we pray that we will not just be recipients of this blessing, but we will be channels of it to the world around us that so needs to experience this from us and through us. To your glory. Amen.